With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I'm going to be honest right off the bat. Is there a no yes on the way? There is. But we're coming to you well after the fact of recording this episode. We thought that we'd be proactive. We thought that we might actually do a good job for a change this week. And uh, you'll find out later in the episode that Anthony came prepared, something I did not expect. I've never expected and quite frankly blew me away. But we're coming to you in this venue in this way because since we recorded the episode, big news is broken locally. And Anthony has a little bit of info about the sport as a whole, but Phil Myers signed a three-year contract with an AAV of $2.55 million per season for three years. And I bring this up because in the episode, we got into a back and forth about what we, if we were Chuck Fletcher, what we would have offered to Phil Myers, along with a lot of rationale. And all of that still stands up. So we're going to keep it in the episode. It'll show up later, kind of uh, like 80% of the way through the episode. It shows up. And all of the analysis and all of the, the stuff that goes along with it is still valid, is still good, and there's good back and forth. So we're going to leave it in. But we do want to acknowledge that this contract has gone through since we recorded the episode before we released it initially. Anthony, what were your thoughts on seeing this deal go through? Is it a good deal for Phil Myers? Is it a good deal for the team? Is it a case of both? Probably a little bit of both, Russ. Um, uh, as you'll, as everybody will hear when they listen to later in the uh, in the episode, um, my thought was that it was going to be a two year deal and around for the value that it was. Um, it ended up being a three year deal. Uh, I kept saying the bridge contract was kind of where they were going to go. You wanted to do something a little bit longer term, yep. um, and, and they kind of split the difference, right? I mean, I mean, I guess technically a three year deal could still be a bridge because it, it does not take him to free agency. He's still going to be um, uh, an RFA right. at the end of it, right? So it does not get him to free agency. So it's technically still a bridge deal. Um, but it's it's right around the, the dollar figure that I expected it to be, you know, a little over 2 million. It would probably, I thought it was going to be probably about 2.3. It was 2.5 um, per year, which is, which is fine. He's still the fifth highest paid defenseman on the team. Um, and he's going to be, playing or given an opportunity to play top pair minutes. So that's what makes it a good deal for the Flyers, because if he turns out to be a top pair guy that you can rely on and pair with Provorov for the foreseeable future, well, then damn, for three years at that salary, it's a great it's a great bargain. Um, if it turns out that he's no better than what he was, what he's been so far, that he's kind of reached that, not necessarily the ceiling of his ability, but necessarily the ceiling of where he fits into a roster as far as being a second pair guy, then he's being paid 
you know, probably still probably a little bit of a discount. Your second pair guys are usually in that, you know, three to $4 million range. So uh, I look at it as a good deal for the team, but at the same time, Phil Myers at 23 years old to get a three, to get guaranteed $7 million. Um, that's a good deal for him. So all told, I think it's, I think it's uh, a, a solid signing by Chuck Fletcher and the flyers. And it definitely works out for Phil Myers as well. I tweeted out once I saw that I, I think it's nothing short of masterful. So the the way that I kind of view it, and we get into this a little bit later, but I could have seen the value in trying to come in at a deal at four or five years just for the standpoint that, and we get into this later, that there aren't that many defensemen on this team that are committed to a long-term contract. And you try to think about like, what could the market eventually look like in the next two years? You might take an immediate hit up front if it's a higher AAV than it ended up being. Um, but just for the sake of, of having him locked in. And if he ends up being that top pair defenseman that he projects to be right now, or at least that we expect them to roll out with at the start of the season, then even a three and a half or $4 million cap hit wouldn't be that bad over four or five years. If he lives up to that. Now it is, I, I say it's masterful because it's also worth pointing out that uh, he's making less money per year than Travis Sanheim who is up as a restricted free agent after this season. He's making $700,000 less per season. Now, if Phil Myers were to go out and have an exponentially better season than Travis Sanheim, then perhaps the Flyers would then go to the table in the offseason and say, well, listen, you know, maybe we're not going to cut you down in terms of salary if Sanheim doesn't, you know, exceed the the production of Phil Myers. But maybe it, it helps kind of rein that number in a little bit. I don't know if it, I don't know if that goes into the calculus or not, but it is interesting to see that he signed for less than what Travis Sanheim did. I was, I, I was surprised by that. I'm not saying it was a bad move by well, any stretch. I, I just think it was, it was a little bit interesting. Well, they have to projects this, to, to be in the lineup. The simple thing is, is this Russ, Travis Sanheim was a first round pick. Sure. Phil Myers, Phil Myers was, was undra- an undrafted yeah. free agent. Yeah. So it, I, you know, that's why there's, there's a difference. You're right. And, and, and it, literally, that's the I mean, the million dollar difference between them is is just that where they were drafted. And this is where they are in the progression of their salaries. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that that's all that it is there. But I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I think that ultimately I think it's just really comes down to where they were drafted or in Myers case, not drafted. So either way, the Flyers go into the season as of right now, they've got just under two point three million dollars in cap space. Um we talked about free agency. We talked about remaining free agents later on in the episode. So you can, all of that still stands, uh, but 2.3 million, not bad. You're one or two moves away from maybe being able to go out and play that free agency game. Maybe, you know, tender some offers to uh, camp invites, all that stuff that we talk about later in the episode still stands. You said that there was something else that uh, you wanted to bring up about the league as a whole. Uh, that is an update since we recorded the episode earlier in the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we do talk, uh, um, and, and right away we get off it uh, off to the top of the uh, of the of the episode. We talk about, you know, what the new season's going to look like, um, and we talked about saying. And I think I I think I said, um, if if I remember correctly, that there are still some logistical things um, that they have to iron out before they get this deal finalized between the, the league and the players association. And then we can get into training camp and the potential start of the season on January 13th. Um, few things to add to that. Uh, one, there are, so here are some of the sticking points right now that are, that I, you know, I believe will be ironed out, but this is what they have to figure out. Um, first of all, you've got to remember one thing that we did not talk about is there are seven teams that 
did not go to the bubble because they were not considered playoff teams. They haven't played any kind of competitive hockey in nine months. And so they were hoping those seven teams to get a little extra time for camp because it's been so long. They've never, you know, the drought has been so long. They were hoping for a week. Uh, It looks like they're only going to get about three or four days extra. So that's a little bit uh, of a setback for those seven teams who, you know, are going to be a little bit more behind the eight ball than the rest who at least played games a couple of months ago. Um, AHL's target date. We talked about the AHL when they're going to start, um, but we didn't give the date. The target date was is February 5th to start the AHL. Um, uh, there was an, the, the league wanted to have, this was something I thought was really interesting. The league wanted to have compliance buyout options. Um, and they presented it to the players association and the players association came back and said, okay, well you can have them. Um, but you got to take it completely out of the owner money. It's not coming. We're not sharing the sharing this. Um, which did not go over well with the league. And so therefore it's probably not going to happen, but could you imagine what that would have been like if a GM was able to just get out from underneath a contract that they didn't like change everything. It would completely change everything. Teams would suddenly have a lot more money to spend. Right. So that would be, that would have been interesting. Uh, doesn't look like it's happening. Can you give Um, an explainer? So just from, from, I guess the macro perspective. So you would think that as a player's association, the idea of, teams having more money would mean that for other members of your collective bargaining unit, it could be a good thing because you're, you wouldn't see this massive drop where we talk about guys like Michael Granlund still being out there. Anthony Duclair still out there. We not, we mentioned a, a number of other free agents at the end of this episode, but like, wouldn't you think that that might have been something that the players association should have potentially been behind? Like why would the players association have, have, they would, they would have, have, they would have had a share in that. They would have had a share in it. So, there so have explain, been, explain what that means to people so because there it, have been compliance buyouts before, right? And sure. coming out of lockouts, um, they've done it. And basically, what a compliance buyout is is it basically allows a team to pay a player to not play anymore. That's a compliance buy. We'll pay you to not be on our team. Is basically what it is, and it and it allows you to not have it count against the salary cap. Okay, now. What that the problem is with that is that the money that would be owed uh, to a particular player in this in this instance, um, it would you're talking about a, this prorated salary and then es- money going into escrow and deferment and stuff like that. There's a lot of complicated um, language and 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 mathematics that, that kind of goes into all that. Um, what the players were basically saying is they wanted all of that to go onto the owners, not it's not shared uh, responsibility between the players and the owners. So they wanted, they said, look, if you want to buy somebody out, that's completely on you. All that money is going to, is coming from the owners. It's not coming out of the pool of money that is being spread out over uh, the next three years. It's not coming from the reduction in in the salaries that the players aren't going to take any more reduction salaries in order for you to do that. None of that's happening. It's all coming out of your wallet. And I think that the owners were like, yeah, well, we can't really do that. So, so that's why they decided not to go ahead with it, but it was done at the last lockout. Um, there were players that were bought out compliant. I believe Danny Briere might've been a compliance buyout for the, for the flyers at the end of his time here. 
if I'm not mistaken. I think he uh, was yeah, he was. Yeah, he was compliance buyout, right? He was 2013. Um, uh, it was June 20th, 2013. Um, Homer, I met with Danny last week and informed him of our decision to use a compliance buyout on his contract. Yep. Yeah. So um, that's kind of what it is. It's it's a it's a get out of jail free card, basically. Yep. For for the players or for the uh, uh, general for, managers for GMs. Yep. Yeah. Um, but so it's but that's not going to happen now. Um, the two COVID related things. Uh, kind of interesting um, that's being discussed now that we know that there's a vaccine coming. Does the NHL make it mandatory? Does it make it, does the league say in order to play, you have to have the vaccine? Here's a fun game. So we, we talked about the optics of sports. This was, you know, going into the return of sports in general and about the optics of professional athletes being, prioritized over the general public in terms of rapid testing and in terms of just uh, the number of tests in general. Um, how well do you think that would go over with the, with the public as a whole, if leagues with players that are millionaires owned by billionaires are now jumped to the front of the vaccine line? I, I, I could see that on one hand fans would say, all right, cool. Because that means that our favorite players, we won't have to lose them. We've seen what it looks like in other sports when a player has to go off for two weeks. And it can be devastating. We've seen it in the NFL. We just saw it actually. I don't know if you just saw it, but Des Bryant, Mm -hmm. who was supposed to report to the Ravens, just got sent home. Um, We've seen it mess with the NFL. It stands to reason that we could see a lot more of this, uh, especially with the NBA returning and James Harden going coast to coast to strip clubs. You you don't know. I don't know. I guess it, it comes down to, do you want the continuity and do you want the peace of mind? If you're a fan, are you okay with that over seeing frontline workers, for example, getting the vaccine? And to your point, I guess, player rights, mandating a vaccine. Well, what's currently mandated of the players? Are they mandated to have the polio vaccine? Are they mandated to have all of the typical ones, meningitis vaccine, things like that, like every kid gets when they go off to college? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, first of all, I would have no problem with athletes uh, going toward the front of the line. I'm not saying that they should be first, but I think that I have no problem with them going toward the front of the line because that is our entertainment while we are stuck home, right? While we are, while we are sitting at, in our homes, not able to go anywhere, we want to be entertained. And so if we can guarantee that our entertainment, you know, I have no problem if they did it with like actors too, you know, so that you can do TV shows and movies and stuff like that. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to any of that, you know, being, you know, somewhere in toward the front of the line. So no, I have no problem with it. Um, but it's being discussed. It's going to be talked about. Another thing that, that we didn't talk about Russ with this COVID thing. Remember last year, the teams or players were given opt-out language, right? They were giving an opt-out if they were worried about COVID. Sure. Well, they got to give them that opportunity, I think again. Right. And so that, so there's going to be an opportunity for players to opt out of this season. Um, I'm not certain many will take it. I think that there's a belief that, you know, after last season, the way that they saw how the bubble worked and the NHL was really good with their COVID protocols, that they'll probably feel a little bit safer, also knowing that the vaccine is coming. But there might be a couple guys, there might be a couple players with underlying conditions who might say, you know what, it's still too risky. Uh, I'm going to sit this one out. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. And here's the final thing. And this is something we did talk about. Um, And 
so that now that I have a little bit more information, I think that what I said earlier, what I say on the episode a little bit later on, um, is is actually now probably slightly wrong. Um, th- th- while we talked about you know expanding rosters, and I said to you, you said that you brought this up, said you know, maybe they should expand the rosters, and I said, well, there's they can't because it's a salary cap league, right? That's the difference between the NHL and, and say Major League Baseball, where they had bigger rosters. Um, they can't, you can't have guys going above the the salary cap, but because there are situations where um, minor league affiliates are situated in multiple countries. So for example, Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton, all three of their uh, AHL affiliates are in the United States. And there's currently a quarantine requirement if you're going from the USA to Canada. So if you needed to call somebody up because of an injury or because of COVID, you couldn't do it right away. Like you can't just call them up. So what's being discussed and I think is going to happen is taxi squads. Basically, teams are going to be allowed to have players that are practicing with the team and can only be used in the case of someone going out with COVID or injury or something like that. What size the taxi squad is going to be? I think that's what's being discussed at the moment. So but pretty it's much pro- what I said. So this is just further proof that the NHL <laughs> is bugging our computers. Yes, it's exactly. and they're listening to us even before we release an episode. That's, yeah, but you, that's you, just, really you wanted them to expand their rosters. What I'm saying is, is well, taxi if, squad. If you remember, I I threw out the idea of allowing those players to practice, not yeah, necessarily yeah. like having whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, but but that's what it's going to be. You're going to have yeah. taxi squads, whether it's you know, a goalie and five players, five skaters or something along those lines, but that's probably what it's going to be. So teams are going to be allowed to have extra players in their traveling party who practice with the team, Mm -hmm. but don't count against the salary cap because they're not playing games unless there's a COVID situation. Right. I mean, so I think that's kind of what you're looking at and teams may have that. And then that becomes a whole nother interesting conversation, which we can dive into in the next episode is that, you know, hopefully they'll have a decision made by that by next week. But if you're the flyers and you're putting together a taxi squad, are you putting together a taxi squad of players who have NHL experience or are you putting together a taxi squad of prospects who you would want to see play you know, in case of, in in a case like that, because they're practicing with the NHL club as opposed to playing games in the AHL. So I, to me, it's a really interesting dynamic that could, that could change a lot of what we talk about, about who's going to be, get a chance to play this season. Whereas before I thought it was going to be mostly the roster you had, and maybe your more mature, younger players, like we talked about Lachinsky and Allison, mm-hmm. um, but that maybe now you will get a couple of prospect guys who have a chance because they're going to be practicing with the NHL club for, you know, months on end. We shall see my friend. We shall see. All right. So that is probably the longest lead in update to an episode <laughs> in the history of lead in updates to an episode, but we wanted to make sure that we did this right now. Listen, Sometimes when you hear an update at the beginning of an episode, you think, all right, well, then I'm good. That's it. But no, we intentionally withheld information in this update so that you would still go and listen to the rest. It's still important, okay? We still put in like the little advertising blocks, okay? Revenue. It's the holiday season. Anthony needs to buy his daughter a car. So listen to the rest of the episode. And then when we get to, you know, when you get to the commercial break, listen, here's my thing. Don't skip the ad. 
okay? I know that when you listen to podcast apps, I skip through ads, okay? I'll admit it, I don't care. But when we get there, this is what I want you to do. On the podcast app, just change the speed, all right? Do what I do, listen to it on two times speed, it flies like that. We all, we all end up happy, okay? Anthony gets to buy his daughter a car. If we take all the pros, if we take all of the money that we generate from those ads that have started streaming in these episodes, we can buy Anthony's daughter a new car by 2032. So, uh, hey, listen, better late than never. That's what you got to tell your daughter. So uh, listen to the rest of the episode. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And of course, you can check out, in case you're wondering, you can always look in the description of the episode. I have a bulleted list of all the topics. So if there's something that you want to skip over and you want to get to some other good stuff, by all means, feel free to do so. But there's a lot of good stuff in this episode. Uh, we will be back next week. I said at the end of this episode, we'll be back next week unless something big breaks. Well, it broke and it had to break before we even released the freaking episode. So I'm not going to say it again, but without further ado, we're going to get the episode started. Don't forget to follow Anthony at Ansan Philly, me at Joy on Broad, the show at Snow the Goalie on Instagram and Twitter, and of course, facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. Without further ado, here is the only Flyers podcast. Oh, yes. Snow the Goalie. Hi, my name is Ali Vigneault, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Niskanen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You're, You're listening, listening to, to Snow, the Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Snow the Goalie. The People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, the Prognosticators Podcast, the Presidential Podcast... The Pedialyte Podcast, the Pampers Podcast, the Only Flyers Podcast, and it looks like perhaps the Predictor Podcast, because if I recall about a week ago, Anthony Sanfilippo, who we know has the ear of the league, threw out an idea of a, a start in January, maybe the middle of January, perhaps a little bit later in January, and well, golly gee willikers, here we are earlier in the week to break down a report that hockey is coming back in just over a month. I'm Russ Joy. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at JoyOnBroad. Joined, as always, by the Oracle of Knowledge himself, the soon-to-be Hockey Hall of Famer himself, <laughs> Anthony Sanfilippo. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at AntSanPhilly. Hey, Russ. Um, I, yeah, hockey's coming back. That's an exciting thing. Um, although I, I, I have I – mean, look – uh, we can't have problems with the with their plan to come back because they are coming back. You know, still as we even know we're nearing we're on the backside of the pandemic. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, is they're coming back in the middle of a pandemic, and it, you know they got to have different a different way of doing it. Um, that said, it, it's not ideal for anyone, and and we're going to talk about it because it's. You know, yeah, we're going to have hockey in, in exactly, what, 36 days will be the opening day of the season. Um, but there's a lot that's going on around that that is going to make for what I think will be sloppy hockey for a little bit. Um, and the problem with that is, is that with a shortened season, and we'll get into the, the numbers on that as well, um, you really, teams really can't afford to have sloppy hockey because, you got to get off to a good start. Otherwise you're, you're done and you're done quick. So um, it, it's going to be really kind of interesting how this, this all plays out. And uh, yeah, it, 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 once again, I think like we 
were when we first went into the bubble back in August, everybody's going to be on such a level playing field that you're going to probably find a couple teams that you don't expect to do good to do good and teams that you expect to do well to not do well. And I think that that's going to probably make for a, a wilder season than maybe we expected. It is interesting because a week ago, it was actually less than a week ago, we recorded an episode and we we talked about the billionaires and the millionaires arguing, quarreling over a CBA about the the owners reneging on a lot of uh, a lot of that, wanting to see uh, uh, an escrow percentage change. And it's weird that it's what four days I think since we dropped the last episode five at at most. Um, that it looks like things have moved on this quickly. And I wonder how much of that is public backlash. We talked about how this does not benefit. I mean, the the, the concept of the owners trying to hold out for more money, um, looking to, to renegotiate a CBA that was negotiated mid-pandemic in the summer. We talked about how this wasn't good for the fans. And ultimately, that's what, what really does matter. Um, how much of this do you think is because of public pressure and the negative reception that the league and the owners especially had received over the past week or so. I think that they realized that they, they didn't want the fiasco that baseball went through. I, I think that they, they realized that that would have been just bad luck for, for the, for the NHL, uh, you know, for a sport that is clearly fourth in this country um, to, to suddenly, you know, in the middle of a pandemic to, to drive people you know, further away from it because they're arguing about money. Um, it should be noted that the NHLPA did offer up um, more dollars, but didn't change the change the escrow. So, I mean, that was, I think, what finally gave, you know, the, the league finally said, okay, we'll accept that. And then that was it. So apparently there's no financial um, issues currently. That doesn't mean that there aren't issues there. Uh, there appear to be um, uh, some other you know, hurdles that still need to be, you know, uh, accomplished, um, uh, you know, the schedule, how it's going to work, um, what, what the COVID protocols are going to be, um, you know, a lot of things like that, you know, how, the, how the realignment's going to finally come into play. And we're going to talk about that today too, because it, it looks like they're not going to have Flyers Penguins this year. We're not going to see the Penguins at all this season, unless you see them in the, in the playoffs at some point, but um, and I find that to be a, a real travesty, to be honest with you. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, yeah, and I'll tell you why I find it to be a travesty when we talk about it. But okay. um, to be clear, for, based on what you said before about the them offering more money, to be clear, uh, per Darren Dreger, it was uh, is it Dreger, 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 Dreger. Um, he says that the uh, the money that they proposed was deferred money. You're so right. Correct. You, uh, you can take take that however you want but it is interesting that the players were at least willing in some way shape or form to make what looked like a concession i don't know if that really is i mean deferred money you're still going to get it's still getting it right now but it does from a from a pr standpoint from from the side of the nhlpa it does look like hey you know we're at least willing to make the owner's lives a little bit easier right now for the betterment of the league and the fans so well, while, what it is, what it is, Russ, is it's the it's the players saying to the owners, "Listen, we know that you, that you're losing, you've been losing money for the last ten months, okay, but we also know, like we said on the last episode, that once fans are allowed back in the arena, 
that you'll be making money again. Yep. And so to sit there and say that you should not be able to give us this money back once you start making it again is preposterous. So give it to us then. We'll let you defer it, but you got to give it to us. And so I think that that's, that was a very clear message, and, I, and the, the, the ownership did hear it, which was a good thing. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see the, um, the update from this morning? Um, I was reading, reading it earlier. Yeah. Why? Okay. I just think it's interesting. Like, I, I think that just overall, the idea that they've managed again, like the fact that they've managed to come to a tentative agreement sounds great, but it's just funny because it's the same thing. It's the same thing they negotiated. Like nothing, nothing is really all that different. And yet there was still squabbling. And I wonder, like, you know, we talked about our, our bad optics better than no optics. I think that's been a thing that we've talked about before. The hockey was so far off the radar that even this little bit of strife, I wonder if that maybe brought hockey back into the, the general um, into the general sports sphere because there had been no juice whatsoever. And the NBA is, is in the midst of training camps right now. They're two weeks away from the first games being played. And even though it wasn't positive attention being paid to the NHL, the fact that there was something to report on, I don't know, was were the bad optics worth it? Well, so here's here's what I think that the NHL is doing that's not – I want to say – I don't want to say it's savvy work by the league because um, I think that they're kind of dumbing their way into it a little bit. But with the NBA starting the 22nd, that gives the NHL a full three weeks to see how it's working in the NBA. And, you know, if, if the if the NBA season starts and all of a sudden you start getting like you're getting in the NFL where there's a breakout on, on a team and they got to move games and all this is happening and um, or, you know, cancellations or whatever. Um, or, you know, oh, we have to now readjust our schedule and, and maybe put teams into a bubble. Um, I think, you know, the, the NHL will have a backup plan that's ready to go based off of that. I think that they're going to, they wanted to almost get a sneak peek at what their season's going to look like in another league, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're starting a few weeks after the NBA. And I don't necessarily know if that was a concerted effort to, for it to be that way, or if they just kind of lucked into it. Because they are talking about one part of the report that was kind of interesting is they're going to start the season and they don't want to start the season in little mini bubbles like we talked about a couple episodes ago. They actually want to do it, you know, in arenas, um, you know, and but they do want to have a secondary plan in place if that doesn't work. And so that's part of the protocol, the COVID protocols that they're kind of putting together to have a secondary uh, plan in place. So I think that they're, they're going to have the opportunity to get a, get a look at it and see, you know, is the NBA doing it right? Okay. They're, they're doing fine. They're getting through. Well, we can do the same thing or yeah, you know what? We, maybe we need to adjust on the fly and change this before the season even starts. And so they're, they've, they've kind of, you know, moved into it in that regard. And I think that that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I want to get into the concept of, of um, realignment and why you're so upset about the potential of there not being 
Flyers Penguins. I have to tell you, I I'm not nearly as upset about this. And if if there's anybody who should be upset about the possibility of there not being a rivalry game, it should be me. But I I'm not upset. Why are you so worked up? It's not that I'm upset that You're they're upset. not pl- that they're not playing the Penguins. I mean, as, as far as hockey goes, the hockey end of it, or storylines, or anything along those lines. I mean, yeah. I mean, fans prefer it. F- fans would rather in a 56 game season, play the Penguins four times and have each of those games have like this monumental meaning. Um, you know, of course the fans would prefer that. And, and as writers, we would like that, but that's not the reason that I think that this is a detrimental thing. We're in a, we talked about this uh, on a previous episode where, you know, there's a new TV contract to come out for the league. Um, next season and you know trying to woo a a channel like maybe espn to to buy into it and it's not to say that they won't get this tv contract because they certainly will but if you really want to try and see what your fan interest is especially in a season where there's not going to be a lot of fans attending games at least in the early part of the season um why wouldn't you want one of your best television matchups available to you to put on your NBC networks to see what kind of ratings Flyers Penguins would draw with everybody sitting at home to, to, you know, to say, Hey, look at, look at how much interest there is in hockey and try and make, you know, that much more money on the, um, uh, on the TV deal, which will benefit the, the league. It would benefit each team because of the profit sharing. I mean, everything would be better for the league to have that ability and to take away the option of even if it's one game or two games that are nationally televised between two teams that are traditional rivals and draw great television interest. Uh, Flyers Penguins always does well on, on NBC always has done well. Um, That to me is a, is a real negative. You're taking away the possibility of one of your best TV matchups for national broadcasts. And and I don't understand why you would want to do that just because you feel like it's easier to travel from Pittsburgh and Columbus to the South than it is to travel from Washington, for example, to the South. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like to me, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but the league's done this before they moved Pittsburgh out of the East or out of the Atlantic division, you know, back when you were a child and um, th- and then they finally realized, came to their senses and moved the Penguins back. Um, and I know it's only a one-year thing, and that's fine, but I, th- I think in a critical year that is the year before you get a new TV contract to blow up one of your best TV games completely makes zero sense to me. I think this might be an indication that we could be heading toward the NHL and, the, and, and NBC coming to a one-year extension of their TV deal. Well, if that's the case, then it's fine. If, if we're it, just gonna if we're just gonna punt to next year, okay, then then my point is irrelevant. Well, I think I think that's probably where this has to head, right? Because there is no league right now who is in an advantageous enough position to negotiate a big money TV deal. And the ratings were down without a doubt when the bubbles came or when the leagues came back in bubbles. That was across the board. Uh, was it in the NHL? It was. Yeah, it was. Mm, okay. It was. Um, I don't see a, a scenario where 
while things are going on as they are, and while there are still fans who don't want to tune into games without crowds because it feels post-apocalyptic, I don't see a scenario where you're going to get nearly as much bang for your buck as you would if you waited a year. If you just went into this and said, all right, we're going to, we'll go one more season. We'll get regular ratings. We'll have an 82 game season. We might stagger when we start the season that for the 2021, 22 season. And you just punt. There's nothing wrong with it. NBC would probably benefit from getting to see another year. It would also be advantageous to them. They'd probably get the league at a discount. They would also then have the ability to see how sports as a whole have uh, have bounced back post-pandemic. It makes a lot of sense. And for the NHL, it makes sense in that, you know, you're not going to get nearly the amount of revenue that you might have thought you were going to get initially. But if you wait the year, you get an 82-game season in, you go to the table, the negotiating table with ESPN, with NBC, with the possibility of there being a a combo deal between the two where they might split some national games, kind of like what the NFL does and the way that the NBA does, you know, maybe you're just in a better position. You take the one year hit. Everything's a mess financially anyway. And then you go back to the table in 2022 and you go for a big deal and you go for the money that you thought you were going to be able to get this season or the end of this season pre pandemic. I think it makes sense for both sides. It's not exciting. And if you're uh, a hockey fan who was hoping to see, you know, a, a bigger deal spread across the board, like it would be exciting to see the NHL strike a deal that not only gets games on NBC and NBC sports, but also on the ESPN platforms, especially ESPN plus, you know, if, if there were a way to work something out where you're not as reliant on having to get NHL center ice, where there could be one or two games every night that are just, you know, uh, nationally available via the ESPN plus platform. It makes a ton of sense. I don't know if they'll go that way. It's another premium thing that you'd have to buy, but I can't imagine that they're going to strike a a five or six year or a 10 year TV deal at the end of this season. There's just no way it doesn't make sense for anybody involved. Well, I mean, but money talks, right? It does. But the, the big payday that you thought you were going to get, is certainly not going to be there at the end of this season, unless hockey ratings are absolutely through the roof, which I don't I I don't see unless the NHL takes the extreme position of allowing close to normal crowds in and the NBA is only allowing 10 percent, 15 percent capacity crowds. No, they're not going to do that. Well, they're not going to. And what I'm saying is if if you're your biggest differentiating factor in hockey is the the influence of the crowd and is the overall atmosphere of the hockey fan, especially in the playoffs, but even regular season in a good market. If people were tuning in and you had what was near capacity crowds and that felt different than every other sport, that's how you draw more fans in. That's how you get the ratings up. Until that happens, I don't I don't see this as being anything that makes any sense for the league to go in and negotiate a lower value contract unless it's like a, like, I don't know. Do you do a bridge, right? Do you do a two year deal? Do you do one where it's a lower rate here uh, for this upcoming or for the 2021, 22 season? And then you extend it one more year at closer to a normal traditional rate. I don't know. Is NBC really going to want to do it? There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot that goes along with this and you certainly want guaranteed money up front if you're a league, but 
if you're if you're negotiating from a bad a disadvantaged um, vantage point, like I I don't get it. I don't see it. It doesn't make any sense. I could be wrong. Maybe I'll be wrong. It doesn't happen much, but maybe I'll be wrong. <laughs> I do appreciate the fact that you are looking at the Penguins thing from the perspective of the league, though, from the ratings, and not because you just want to see Sidney Crosby. Um, I, I want to say this, and I mean this in a loving way. I think the Flyers-Penguins rivalry has lost some juice. I think that it is beneficial. Heart uh, Absence makes the heart grow fonder. If you don't play the Penguins this year, or you don't see them until the playoffs, then I think you're reigniting a rivalry. I don't. I, see, here's where I disagree with you. I, I think that the the rivalry may be nearing an nearing an end because how much longer does Crosby Malkin keep the Penguins successful? But you got to take advantage of it while it still exists. Right, you, you, the, the the rivalry goes it goes back to oh five oh six, you know when Crosby was a rookie, and um, and you know I mean well it goes back further than that, but I'm saying but the the current incarnation of it goes back that long, um, you know Darian Hatcher knocking his tooth out and dragging him on on the ice and all that stuff and Crosby scoring the game winning goal, uh, uh, in overtime on a breakaway, you know all that good stuff, um. It, to to just to just take it away, and if Pittsburgh starts to get towards a rebuild here in the next year to two, then you're going to be like, yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same anymore. And yeah, you know, Crosby will still draw the ire of you know of the fans when he's when there when there are fans back in the building. And of course, that that will always be the case. Um, but at the same time, like. You, you want to take advantage of it when the teams are still competitive together. Well, when uh, do you think Pittsburgh ends up hitting the button on a, on a reset? Or do you think that this is something where they're going to continue to try to retool around Crosby until he's done? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's a situation where, you know, we saw it here with the Phillies back in the, you know, the early part of this decade. Um, I, I know a lot of people think 2020 starts a new decade. It really doesn't. It actually finishes the old one. Um if we really want to be technical, but I love the nineties plus one. It's, it's ridiculous. the two thousands plus one. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah. No, it's, it's awful anyway. Um, but we saw it and, and, and you, it's not germane to Philadelphia. I mean, it, it happens everywhere where you have some success and then you want to try and cling to that success with that group as long as you possibly can. And I think that the penguins find themselves in a situation where they've, they've hitched so much of their financial wagon to Crosby Malkin that they keep trying to add pieces around those players to try and win again. And I'm not certain that the Penguins will, with Crosby Malkin as your centerpiece players, will ever be good enough again to win a cup. I mean, but can you blame them? Can you blame them for trying to retool around those two? Well, I, not for a while, no. But I think it's kind of the point now where you realize, yeah, they're, they're just not going to do it. I mean, you know, these guys are still really good players. Um and and you know they can make you a playoff team and you can be competitive and hopefully you go on a run that's kind of what you're you're kind of like just get there and then let's cross our fingers and maybe the team gets gets hot at that point um but i i, I don't know like i i don't you know this isn't the same level of talent that they had when you know when Latang was a young star defenseman and and you had mark andre fleury and net and um and you were able to get like 
complementary pieces around those players to really kind of be playoff contributors and, and make the runs to the cups that they won. Um, you have a, a different thing and, and you need players on this team now on the Penguins team to really be ready to take that mantle from them, you know, and let them become the supporting players almost. Um, and the Penguins don't have that. They traded away so many draft picks. They don't have great development. They have some nice young players, but not nothing spectacular. And so I think that they're kind of just kind of wallowing in, you know, a little bit better than mediocre, but not good enough to win a cup kind of team. Um, and, you know, with those guys getting a little bit longer in the tooth, at what point do you sit there and say, yeah, we have to start over? And and does starting over mean moving on from guys like Malkin and Crosby? Well, I do want to ask this. So I, I, I actually kind of like where we're heading here because I feel like the Flyers and the Penguins have a not a, a totally similar position, but the idea of having to move on from what had long been considered your core um, now, we, we've talked a million times about Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek's status with the team, the uh, lengthy contracts that still remain. Jake has, what, three years remaining on his contract past the upcoming season. Uh, Giroux only has one remaining season, I believe, past this one on the current deal. Uh, you've got the Seattle draft, the expansion draft is looming out there for the next offseason. But, you know, Pittsburgh, between Malkin and uh, Crosby, Crosby's still on the books for the Penguins for another four seasons beyond this one at an $8.7 million cap hit. Is there a scenario where, is there a scenario where they look at Crosby? Malkin well, only has, Malkin only has one year left. So he's Malkin and Giroux in a way are in a similar position in that they only have one, one season left at a massive cap hit. Malkin, for those who don't know, is at $9.5 million a year. They both have one year left. And then you kind of look at the Crosby deal far exceeds the length of even the, the Voracek contract. But to me, you're talking about two of your biggest cap hits on your team. Is there a scenario where the Penguins move on from Evgeny Malkin as early as the trade deadline this year while there's still value? There's one more year. It's a huge cap hit. We know that teams aren't necessarily looking to take on big money in an unknown financial market, but that's still a guy who helps your team. If you're a, a fringe playoff contender, or if you're a team that's looking to get from the middle of the standings to be a legitimate contender, is there a way that the pens move on from Malkin? I, I can't see it unless this year, unless Pittsburgh really struggles out of the gate. And we have to talk about that because I think that, there's a propensity for teams to not perform to the to what you to expectations, uh, whether it's exceeding them or not meeting them, um, in a shortened season. So, I would think the Penguins would have to have a real struggle to the first part of the season to consider trading Malkin at the deadline. I don't see that. I think that they they look at it and say we are we were a decent enough team that we can get back into the playoffs and see what happens. I, 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 you know, I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're a non-playoff team right now. I think that they're still a playoff caliber team, maybe next year. I mean, the, the, the thing that's interesting to me is you look at that Crosby contract and 8.7 million is really affordable for the level that, of play that he still has. 
even if it's four four more seasons beyond this season or three more seasons, whatever it is, beyond it's four beyond, season, yeah. four beyond. Um, it is a guy though who has a history of concussions. Understood. And one, I mean, and and one more you're looking at. Understood. But the fact yeah. of the matter is, if you're a team that that is you feel is close. And you can bring in a three-time Stanley Cup champion, future Hall of Famer, or one of the best players the game has seen in generation. Um, y- you you take that risk. If you were playing fantasy hockey, and you had the ability to move Sidney Crosby from one team to any other team in the league, which team would it be, and why is it the Flyers? <laughs> Uh, no, really, per, it if, would never. It, that would never happen. If, like, um, is there is there a scenario where, like, again, we're not looking at at actual packages out there. We're not trying to make the the money line up. If you could drop him one place, would you send him to Edmonton? No. Really? Okay. No. Um, because Edmont- Edmonton just doesn't. The one thing about the Oilers, which I never quite understood, is. They don't get it when it comes to they will go out and they will get the top these top end forwards who are exciting and and great players and they ignore defense they ignore goaltending like I don't understand and it's year in year out with them and every year it's the same thing and it's, it's going to be the same problem for them this year so no I wouldn't I wouldn't look at Edmonton um, I mean you get surprised I just right? meant like the idea of like seeing a power play or something that has Connor McDavid or if like you well. If if you stacked a line and moved one of them out to wing, just to see what it would look like to see Crosby and, and McDavid, I'm not talking about like what necessarily wins you a cup. I'm just saying like, well, that, that would be, be that would be that would be would be a cool yeah, thing. That would be fun and ridiculous. You add Crosby to, to McDavid and Drysidel, right? That would be ridiculous. Um, but you know, if I'm looking for what makes the most sense, I mean, so think about it. I mean, you know, when Gretzky was traded. A, no one saw it coming, but B, when you say no one saw it coming, if I was to tell you, if I was to tip you off that it was coming, but didn't tell you where he was going at the time, probably the last team on your list was the Los Angeles Kings. And that's where he went. So, so sometimes they'll trade Sidney Crosby to the Flyers. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think that if it <laughs> if it were to ever happen, if the, if Crosby were ever to be traded from Pittsburgh, he would certainly go to a Western conference team. And if I could do it right now, what would make the most sense? I would probably say Vegas. That would be fun. I would yeah, say that, Vegas because they want, be... they want to win. They're, cl- they're close to being a championship caliber team. And I think he would fit in really well with the, the style that they play there. It would be interesting. He'd also be reunited with his uh, former teammate. Well, yeah, but how long is Flurry going to be there? I mean, they have the best goalie tandem in hockey with Flurry. Flurry, Flurry's on the Leonard. books. Yeah, Flurry's on the books for one season beyond this one, seven million dollar cap. Yeah, but who's going to take that contract? Right, they can't trade it yeah. right now. Yeah. I mean, maybe they expose it to the to the Kraken next summer. But release the Kraken. Do the Kraken? Do the Kraken? You know, take a goalie for one one year at seven million. I don't know. I don't. I don't see how it happens. I think that this is a that's a weird situation in Vegas that they've created with in goal. I don't know what they're doing with that, but either, either way, I think that that's the team that you sit there and say, who's the closest, who's been knocking on the door the last few seasons, but can't get over the hump. That's not in the East because Pittsburgh wouldn't want to have to see him on a regular basis. 
and I think Vegas makes would make the most sense there. All right, good. I thought that was a little bit fun, right? Going off the beaten path a little bit. Yeah, we talk sure. about the same flyer scenarios all the time. There's nothing really changing. Now, to that end, we did get some questions in uh, via Twitter. Uh, a couple of contracts uh, questions. One of them was specifically about Phil Myers. Uh, Chris Mann's 18 on Twitter says, is Phil Myers going to get a contract extension? Also, safe and happy holidays to both you and your families. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Thanks, Chris. Um, I think Phil Myers' contract will now come quick. Uh, once this deal is officially in place, I think you'll see it happen relatively quickly. Um, and I, you're probably going to get a bridge deal. I think that's what makes the most sense at this point. Um, for Phil Myers, uh, it's probably going to be something like a two year deal. Um, and then, and then see, because, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta learn a little bit about Phil in the sense that, you know, with Matt Niskanen retiring, Phil Myers is going to get time on that top power, the top um, pair defense defensively with Ivan Provorov. Can he be that guy? Can he be a top top pair defenseman? If he can, that changes a lot about what his future salary is going to be. Um, if he cannot, it also changes a lot about what his future salary is going to be. So I think you know the the two sides would be wise knowing that, knowing that he's got to do a little bit of a prove it. Um, that a bridge deal would make the most sense. So I think you're looking at a t- probably a two-year contract for Phil. Um, and uh, it'll probably pay him, you know, a couple million bucks uh, a season. And then and then we'll see down the road if he can, if he's really a top pair guy or if he's uh, no better than a second pair guy. If I were the Flyers, I'd try to get a four or five-year deal done. I would. Oh. Because I think, I think, one, the upside there is higher than it was with Travis Sanheim. And two... Even if he's not able to prove himself as a top pair defenseman in like the next year or so, he's still young. He's still a huge body. And you know how GMs across the league love the concept of a big defenseman who's also a good skater, is a much better skater than I think somebody would necessarily think a guy his size should be, has has flashed offensive potential. Uh, I almost worry that if you did a, a bridge deal, you're going to have guys coming up at the same time and, and you're eventually going to have to trade at least one or two of them. Okay. So here's, here's, here's the thing. Wait, did you just pull out the San Filippo notebook right now? Did you bring notes? <laughs> did you bring notes to the podcast? I always have Excuse notes. Me? I have some notes available. Excuse me. I didn't know there was an open notes quiz today. Go ahead. <laughs> no. So the only thing is, is that the one place that the flyers have, prospect depth well i shouldn't say the one place because they have it in goal as well but we don't really ever talk about that because because carter hart is young and and talented but they do have depth uh in goal uh but it's on defense i mean and when you look at it you sit there and say if you want to go with a four or five year deal for phil myers well does that block the futures of guys like zamula and and cam york um and, uh, you know, the other guys that they drafted, uh, like Adam Ginning, Emil Andre, I mean, guys that they think are going to be NHL level players, um, you know, does that does that really, you know, prevent them from getting an opportunity in the next few years to get into this lineup? Because you got Provorov, you got Sanheim. Um, well, here, I'll, let me let me so give you the some point. At some point, something's got to give. Right. So somebody's so, that, you know, if you're locking yourself into Myers for five years, 
and you already have locked yourself into Provorov and you have all these young defensemen, wh- who are, where are they fitting, right? Somebody's, so you got to kind of keep, you got to keep roster flexibility. And I think that that's why you give it the two years and then you wait and see where are you two years from now. And at that point, if you're, if some of these guys aren't progressing to be the types of players that you thought they were going to be, well, then you give Phil Myers the longer contract. Right. But if they're progressing as well and you sit there and say, well, now where does he fit in now? Where does he rank in our depth chart? And that will make a better determination for your finances. I think you're just buying yourself. The bridge deal is buying yourself time. So here's why I don't like it, though. So if the idea here is to try to entice a young player into a deal that might be at a lower cap hit, than he theoretically would be worth on the open market or even if you were to project forward a little bit and say all right like he if he if he plays steadily if he's playing top pair minutes if he's able to continue to execute at a pretty decent enough level in terms of putting up points if you locked him in around three and a half million four is like the max i'd want to go on a long deal there's only one I would say one legitimate defenseman who's currently under contract beyond the 2021-22 year, and that's Ivan Provorov. Shane Gostaspare, I cannot imagine, is going to play out two years beyond this one with the Flyers. Maybe he will. I still can't see that, right? So I'll take him off the board. Eric Gustafson is on a one-year deal, and then he's gone. Justin Braun has one year beyond this one at $1.8 million, and then he'll be gone. Robert Haig has a year at 1.6. If there were going to be a, a casualty, uh, you know, within a year or two in terms of somebody who might be blocking a Zamula or if Cam York is ready, I think it might end up being a Robert Haig. And then you have Travis Sanheim, who's up for uh, restricted free agency af- at the end of this year. So even if we were to look long term, again, this is me mentally taking Shane Gossespierre off that list. Even if you were to re-up with Travis Sanheim for a little bit, you would still have Provorov, Sanheim, and Myers as the only three that are committed to a long-term thing at like anything above a $3 million cap hit. Beyond that, the rest of it is just kind of an unknown. And then at that point, if you're filling in the blanks with the Zamulas and the Yorks of the world, they're going to be on ridiculously friendly contracts for the team. They, at at worst, are probably going to go on a bridge deal at least once at a low cap hit. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. That's- I, guess, I guess my I guess my uh, response to that is why do it now when you have the ability to do it later? Especially if, now. well, I'm saying because if you if you lock in, right? Say just conceptually, you you're able to lock in, and you really believe if you're Chuck Fletcher and you think that Phil Myers is going to be a kid that if you give him a bridge deal, that in two years he's going to be worth closer to like a five and a half number than a 3.25 like Travis Sanheim makes now. If you can save yourself that million and a half of cap dollars for the three years beyond what a bridge deal would be, that's the calculus you have to do to get to this. And so I think part of it is, do you roll the dice on your evaluation? If you're Chuck Fletcher and you think that this kid is going to be somebody who you're going to want to build your defensive core around and you think is going to be a long-term partner on that top pairing with Ivan Provorov, you can lock him in at a lower number, especially since the pandemic is going on, especially because you have the lack of TV revenue as a, as a crutch. If there were a time to try to get a kid locked in at a lower value while also enticing him with, Hey, 
We don't know what the world's going to look like. We don't know what this is going to look like in another year or two. We don't know what the TV deals are going to look like. We don't know what the cap is going to look like. It almost works out well for both. I, that's that's where I'm at. And I would, I'd be much more willing to say that I believe in the long-term prospect of Phil Myers as a top-paired defenseman than I was about Travis Sanheim, who I still like and I think had a rough series, especially against the Islanders. But I think there's more upside with Phil Myers. That's Myers, just- Myers had a rough series against the Islanders, too. He did. Um, I'm just of the mindset that you you don't lock yourself into anything unless you're unless you're certain you have a star player, okay. and, and that's and that, I mean I, I think that's the way you're going to see all the league go uh, coming out of you know in the pandemic coming out of the pandemic whenever um, I think you're going to see whereas coming prior to this we had those ridiculously long contracts where you know they were spreading out a lot of money over a lot of years and. Um, and now I think we're going to see just the opposite. I think we're going to get a lot of one-year deals for veterans. I think you're going to get a lot of short-term deals on younger players who you still have control over as restricted free agents after the current deal. So you think you're going to see a lot of this. Um, and it's really more to, to protect cost certainty um, within and cost flexibility within your organization um, than it is to say, well, this is a guy that we think, I mean, they may still think like you do, Russ, they may still think that, that Phil Myers can be that top pair guy. They, that internal evaluation might be there, but they don't want to pay it right now because of the financial landscape. And knowing that the entire league is facing the same financial landscape, you, you can kind of get away with not being as you know, proactive in locking a guy up long-term if you don't have to, um, or it could be that they are not a hundred percent sure that he's that caliber player, in which case then you, you take my approach and say, you just get that um, shorter term deal. I, I think that, I think that agents recognize this. I think that they know that this is going to happen. Um, and I don't think that they're going to have any of their clients die on that Hill to try and get a longer term deal at a very young age right now. Um, I think it's just the, the, the way things are. Um, and, you know, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of depth here. I mean, for, for you look at it, you say, okay, we have certainly three long-term pieces that we think for this team in Provorov, Myers, and Sanheim. Um, you, you mentioned Haig being the, the, the guy who would probably end up being the cannon fodder if, if, if something had to happen, if you had to say, all right, we got to get rid of a guy that we kind of like, um, um, but he's, you know, there's other guys like him out there that you can get. Okay, fine. So, so Haig becomes that, but then you start talking about guys like Zamula and York and other young players that are coming. Um, it, you start to run out of room. You start to run out of room for internal players because there's always going to be the Justin Bronze of the world, the Eric Gustafsons of the world. Oh, we need to bring in a veteran because we can't have all these young defensemen. All right, so we need to bring in a veteran or, or two. So there's always going to be those kinds of players on your roster as well. Um, it's not going to be just six young guys, throw them out there and make it work, right? It's just yeah. not going to happen. So, so you got to figure out how, where does the room fit? How does that fit if you're signing a guy long-term? And so that's why I think, I think Myers' deal will get done quickly. I think it'll be a bridge. I think it'll be, and I think it'll be like, okay, look, we're going to pay you because we, we like you, we believe in you, but if you really want to get the big contract, show us you're a top pair guy. And I think that that's, 
I think that's fair from both sides. And I think that that's probably what it's going to end up being. It is interesting if you look at the guys that are going to be coming up after this season as well. Um, you've got Scott Lawton and Michael Roffle are both UFAs after this year. You'll have Travis Sanheim needs a new deal. He'll be an RFA after this season. Gustafson, I can't imagine you're going to bring back, but he's a UFA. Brian Elliott, who I think did the Flyers a favor coming back at the cap hit that he did. You wonder if he's just going to keep continuing to extend that out. Maybe. I can't imagine it. So he's 35. I can't imagine that, like, we know he's not going to play forever. If he's able to continue to be a solid backup who can come in and and, uh, keep you afloat in games, I would be happy to keep bringing him back on one-year deals. Although, to your point, the the Flyers have organizational depth at goalie, and then you kind of wonder, based on the way the Flyers do things, like, I I wonder if at, at some point Brian Elliott just goes, it's not worth going to a new market. There is no value in that. There's no value in starting over. And maybe there's just like the transition to a role within the organization. I'm not saying he's at that point. I don't think that his his play has dropped off to an extent where they need to start showing him the possibilities. But it is worth noting. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I think that what you're what you're the question you're asking is a worthwhile one in the sense that it depends on what happens in the American Hockey League this year. So if the AHL does play, which I think they're going to, and they're going to start sometime in probably February, like February one, maybe. Um, uh, if they do play, I want to see how much Kiro Stamenko plays there as opposed to Alex Lyon. If he's just Lyon's backup, then the Flyers are not ready to bring him up 21-22. Okay? If he's just the backup in the AHL this year. If he kind of sort of splits time or wins the job outright, then I think that they're grooming him to be Carter Hart's backup for next season. And that would dictate where Elliott is. So I think that a lot of the of the future of the backup goalie for the Flyers, whether it's a veteran like Brian Elliott or it's a, a rookie like Kiro Ustamenko, um, will be dictated by just how much Ustamenko is playing in the AHL in this upcoming shortened season. I will be very interested to see once this season is over, and this isn't to look past, right? I'm obviously excited for the season coming up. I'm obviously excited that we're just over a month away from hockey coming back. I do think those Flyers have a a lot of, um, they have a lot of decisions that they're going to have to make after this season. And I won't be surprised to your point about, you know, hoping that the AHL comes back. I won't be totally surprised to see them try to work in some of their top prospects in camp to give them a, a real look. So they get a better idea of if and when is the time to move on from some of the free agents coming up and if and when to move on from some of the other players they have under contract beyond the season at a low cap hit to, to let the kids play. That sounds like a wonderful idea, Russell. It sounds fantastic. But here's why it's not going to happen, because there's not going to be any exhibition games. Yeah. And this is something I wanted to kind of get into, and I thought we were going to get away from this when we were talking about the, the league coming back, and I you know, didn't bring it up, and now I get an opportunity to. Um, Buddy, you're a co-host on this show. If you want to bring something back, <laughs> you bring it back. Okay? You don't have to be at, at the mercy of where I take the conversation. That's all right. I just follow along sometimes. Uh, anyway, there's... The, the Flyers are not opening training camp until January 1st for a season that starts January 13th. Yeah. Uh, so, so the plan is, is that the non-playoff teams 
um, they start camp, I think, December 28th. They get, a, they get in a few days early, and then the teams that were in the playoffs come in January 1st. That's probably some kind of thing on the amount of days since the playoffs ended. It's probably some kind of union thing, whatever. Whatever. It's yeah. three days. It's not that big a deal. But um, so the playoff teams come in January 1st. If your first game's January 13th, there's no and there's no exhibition games, you have 12 days of practice, and then the season starts. Mm-hmm. you're not getting much of a look at young players. I mean, you're going to give guys a chance. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk about, um, you know, you're talking about guys like Wade Allison, who's going to get an opportunity. Um, and um, Tanner Lashinsky. Uh, Tanner Lashinsky is going to get an opportunity. But that's really it. I mean, like, you're going to get those guys who are more mature, you know, slightly older prospects coming in, in and getting a chance to make the team. But you're not going to see these younger players. They're just not. They will try. I think they will try to get a gauge on where Morgan Frost is at physically. I don't. Oh yeah, I'm not yeah. Say, I'm not I, say, yeah, I'm not saying that like he's yeah. going to. You know, I'm just saying. No. But no, like but I'm saying, like you know, we don't have any kind about- of we don't have any kind of um, actual guidance on expanded rosters, correct? Like I haven't seen anything that. No. I, that- I would I would think that the league is going to allow it because you would think even from the NHLPA perspective, given that there is such an abbreviated uh, ramp up to the season itself that the idea of having more players available so that you're not running guys out and, and reading leading to a rash of injuries that it might be beneficial to allow for teams to, to have like, let's say 10 additional guys, 15 additional players that are, that are available as you kind of play through the beginning of the season. So I think what's going to end up happening. And then it's, you got to remember the one difference between this and baseball where they expanded the rosters is that baseball doesn't have a salary cap. Oh, whereas, I was going to say that people actually watch hockey. Whereas you're, <sighs> the worst where hockey <laughs> where hockey does and your active roster still has to fit in within the salary cap right yeah so i, I don't think you're going to see an expanded roster per se but i think what you might see is a list of players forwards defensemen goalies that are kind of like emergency covid like your covid list or whatever in case of if this happens, if this guy, if you lose players on COVID, these guys can immediately come up and maybe not, even though you're paying them, maybe not count against your cap or have some kind of special cap relief kind of thing in those instances. So I think you're going to have the teams are going to be able to put together a list. I don't know, eight, 10 players uh, uh, in that range um, that if something were to happen, like, Oh, well, we need to bring this guy and this guy and, and not have a count against the cap. I think that there'll probably be some kind of cap, uh, you know, relief that's related to COVID in that instance. But that's other than that, I don't think you're going to see rosters go beyond 22, 23 guys for every team. So that's what I'm telling you. Like, you know, it's interesting. You talk about like a guy like Zamula who got an opportunity to even he played a game in the bubble, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he played the one one game in the bubble. Well, exhibition, yeah. Well, well yeah, I like that you called an exhibition because that's exactly what it was. Um, no, they were the real top seed in the Eastern Conference. Come on, Anthony. They're, they're the best team in the East. Of this um, Merrill race. Uh, I am so disappointed that the Flyers. Go ahead. Uh, but no, but seriously, um, like a guy like Zamola, like, you're really going to get an opportunity to see him and really give him a chance to make this team. I'm not certain that, that he's going to get a real chance. I think that he might stick around in camp a few days longer than most. But at the same time, I don't think you're going to start the se- – I think you're starting the season with Provorov, Myers, Sandheim, Braun, Gustafson, Haig, and Gostaspare, God forbid, is your seven defensemen on this roster. I, yeah, I think that that's really kind of what it is. Um, and then even then, 
Mark Friedman is probably your first guy that gets a shot ahead of Zamola. Zamola is probably number nine on your list at this point. And I just don't think that there's without exhibition games, without a chance to really see them play against another team. I don't think that there's a real chance for, for younger defensemen to get an opportunity or young players in general to get an opportunity to crack this lineup other than fourth line forward guys. That's really it. I think uh, now it's time to take a look really quickly at some questions that we got from, from uh, listeners over on Twitter. Uh, by the way, Jeff Quake also threw out the uh, question about Phil Myers. Um, and he said, with the rumors Phil Myers is going to sign a contract, what will it look like? And somebody else responded to him. It was Mr. Loudface who said, in just in a just world, 12, 12 point times New Roman. Because it's 2020, it's going to be 18 point Comic Sans or some other BS. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was really good. All right. Um, here's a question from BPW Radio Roadkill which is uh, Snapple Apple, our old friend Snapple Apple. Oh, wow. Always checks in. I don't, we've got a, a totally different name now though. I'm like, uh, I'm looking at this right now. So Snapple Apple is a microbiologist and botanist. We have some smart people who listen to the show. They're smarter than you. Um, anyway. No doubt about that. So he says, uh, what do you guys envision as being the, um, the top defenseman on power play one? Provorov had a good season on PP1, but isn't seen as a prototypical offensive defenseman. Myers showed scoring upside in the playoffs. But, uh, and, and sorry, and you have a few offensive oriented players in Ghost, Sanheim, and Gustafson. I think Gustafson's going to get a crack at it mm-hmm. um, because he was good at it in, in Chicago. Um, granted, Chicago had a little bit more offensive firepower on, on their power play than, than the Flyers do, but I think Gustafson, Gustafson's going to get a crack at it. And I think Provorov's going to stay as you're on the second power play because he did have a, he did have, despite the criticism, he did put up numbers and was the best. Uh, he had more goals than any other defenseman in the NHL on the power play. So he does have a good shot, uh, despite people saying that he doesn't. Um, he's not really – the problem with Provrov is he's not as much of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the, in a sense, that, like you can't really run the power play through him. But the Flyers never tried that anyway. They always wanted to run it through Drew on the half wall anyway. Yep. So it didn't, re- it didn't really matter that he wasn't a quarterback up at the top. Um, Gustafson's got a little bit more of that. But he's, I mean, to me, he's still not, you know, Paul Coffey up there by any stretch of the imagination, right? Um, uh, so at the same point, you know, the power play is still going to run through Drew. Um, but I think you're going to see a little bit of Gustafson. You'll still get a little bit of pro Rob on that first PP. Um, I think the second power play, they, they like to have two defensemen on the second unit. So you're going to get a combination of Phil Myers and Travis Sanheim. One of them is going to probably be the, you know, the other guy on the second power play unit as well. And I think you're going to kind of between the four of them, three of them will get PP time. Two of them will probably alternate between the first and the second unit. And the other two will be on the second unit. And that's, that's really how it's going to work. All right. We've got more. We have so many. Look at this. Uh, here's another one from Michael Mooney. At Moonflyers20, who says, uh, the question I'd like to see discussed is, are the Flyers really going to go into the upcoming season without addressing a replacement for Niskanen? I have to admit, I, on from my perspective, I am surprised that they didn't go and, and get somebody to bring stability to that, that top pair, so, even, on a, even on a short deal. And, and I get it. Um, I, I will say that I think that Chuck's approach on this is is not a bad one in the sense that 
let's see if we can what we can do with what we have to start the year. As long as we're in contention come the trade deadline, that's a position we can fill. Because those kinds of veteran defensemen are always available at the trade deadline. And it's a guy that you want to bring in just for this season, an expiring contract. You don't want to lock yourself into something. Um, and I think that that's not a, a not a terrible approach. While we might see fans complaining, gee, you should have gone, gone out and gotten somebody. The defense is not as good as it was last year. And that very well may be. That very well may be a, a, a fair argument. You also have to look at it as if we need to, we want to stay where we're at within the salary cap, you got to be willing to have a weakness somewhere. And if it's that we need to go out and get that person at the deadline and you know just pay them for a month and a half and not have to worry about it anymore after that um, to keep that cap flexibility, then that's the thing that's, then that's what we're going to do. And so I'm totally cool with, with the approach that Chuck has. Um, I just hope it doesn't kill them right away. I, I hope the Flyers aren't getting swamped at the start of the season because of their defense isn't as good. So unless I missed it in the last couple of days, and I'm pretty sure I didn't, there, there is a guy who could come in on a one-year deal who is certainly past his prime, but could be a steady top pair defenseman with Ivan Provorov. I don't know if I would love it. I think it would be fun. I think we've watched what happens when players from this city come to this city and they fall flat on their face, but Zidane Chara still isn't signed. Is there a scenario where if you're Chuck Fletcher, you, you obviously still have to work out the, the Myers deal, but other than that, that's the only contract I believe that is still out there. That is unsettled. You still have $4.8 million in cap space. Is there a scenario where you, at least if you're Chuck Fletcher, you kick the tires on a one-year deal with Zidane Chara? I wouldn't. It makes you too slow. The Flyers, we saw the Flyers, one of the things that we didn't like about them against Montreal and the Islanders is it seemed like that it seemed like both the Canadians and the Islanders were playing at a, at a higher rate of speed than the Flyers were. And if you're going to add to your team, why are you going to add a guy who's in his 40s who can't can't move? Like, like to me, like that only makes you slower. Like I, so no, I would not do that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would skip that. Um, I, I mean, there are other free agent defensemen that are out there, but I, none of them really make sense to me. Um, Vatanen, I mean that might, but he's going to want too much money. Um, I, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do it. Um, I know that we're interested in Hamannick, Travis Hamannick. We talked about him before. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they, they, we're talking to his agent. Um, so maybe it was something where they expressed interest, but they didn't quite meet the the dollar figure that Hamannick wanted. And, and now he's still a free agent. Right. And so maybe now he's got to sit there and say, well, if I want to be in the league, I got to come back at, at, at X instead of it, instead of it, Y. Um, and so maybe he can come in and maybe, maybe that's a guy. I mean, he's only 29 years old, so he's not incredibly old. But I mean, I think those are the kind of defensemen. Beyond that, I don't, I don't think there's anybody else that I would consider. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's really it. But there is that one forward who's sitting out there still, by the way, in free agency that, that we talked about quite a bit. Again, unless I missed it. 
You talking about Mike had, Hoffman? No. One that has ties to Chuck Fletcher. Oh, Gron- Michael Gronland? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, I mean, that's money. I mean... Uh, it's money, but again, like, when you're getting this close to the season, given the, the current situation, like, is that a guy who looks at a one-year deal as a prove-it? Like, I don't know. And also, like, where well, does I, he fit? I think, first of all, I think any remaining unrestricted free agent, if they want to play in the league, are going to have to accept either a one-year deal or are going to have to accept an invite to camp, a tryout, professional tryout contract. Okay, that's really what we're at now, okay? Yeah. Um, so it's, so... And that's that's really it. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see where some of these guys land. I mean, I think a guy like Gronlund will end up somewhere. I think Mike Hoffman will end up somewhere. He scored 29 goals in 69 games. All right? I mean, he's got to end up somewhere. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is he's def- a real defensive liability, and teams don't want forwards who are not defensive-minded, right? But he'll he'll end up somewhere. I, I think Andy Green, even though he's 37, is going to set, land somewhere. I think Votnin is going to land somewhere. Um, Carl Soderberg, you know, for Leak. I mean, you're, these are the kinds of players that maybe will land, you know, on on these tr- professional tryout contracts. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Flyers bring a guy in like that on a mm-hmm. PTO and just just to take a look because it doesn't. What does it cost them? They got to pay him the come to camp that's really all that they're doing is they're paying them to come to camp and you know say all right let's take a peek at you and if we think that you can fit then we'll offer you a contract um that's that's about it like i i can't i can't see them doing much more than that to be honest with you so you know you might get a guy on a pto or two guys on a pto come in for 12 days and let us make a decision based off of how you look in our system at practice uh, Jerry Temple asks, what has more cause for concern going into this season with a Provorov Myers first pair or a Hague Braun third pair? Uh, the first pair scares me a little bit more. I mean, we saw Hague Braun play together. Um, and I know that a lot of people hated that combination, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it really wasn't. I mean, they're not, they don't move the puck um, well, but they're, they're sound in their own end. And that's, that's to me more important Um if you're if you're going to pe- play them together, that they're going to be uh, good in their own end, and and they usually are. I don't think they're going to play together, so that's why that one doesn't scare me as much. I, I think that you're going to see Braun play on the second pair and Hague on the third pair, and and split up. You know, probably Sanheim with with Braun, um, and then uh, who am I missing? Uh, is going to play with uh, oh Gustafson will play Gustafson, with Hague. Yeah. Gustafson and Hague will play together. Um, uh, so I think that's what it's going to be. The, the Myers on the top pair is the, is what scares me um, because I'm not certain that he's, I don't know. I, I mean, he might be, he's got a lot of potential, um, but I, I, I don't know if he can play those kind of minutes every game against the best players on the other team and not have the kinds of lapses that he had in the playoffs. So for what it's worth, I mean, that's what that, that scares me a little bit more. Sean Moore kind of jumped into something that we talked about last week where we were doing the, uh, the, um, the moves about the one-year extension or about least favorite flyers. And one of the names, and I think one of the deals that we actually had talked about uh, that came up in some way, shape or form. Um, he asks both at the time and with benefit of hindsight, do you do the Boucher for Esch and Hanzu deal? Um, no. Okay. 
Uh, he also says, <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't. Um, uh, well. All right. While you talk yourself back into it. Yes. I, yeah, I would. Yeah. Wow. I would. Ladies I and would. gentlemen, what you just heard there is what's called a flip flop. Yeah, it was a flip flop. It was. And I, I was thinking about it. But I mean, yeah, Ash, Ash and Hanzus, they, they brought more. I, yeah, I still do it. Go ahead. He also says the uh, silly Sanheim and Nylander rumor. It's not yeah. real, but but would you do it for one? How real is it? And how um, how does it make any sense if it doesn't fit either team's needs? Well, I'll say this. Um, William Nylander is not coming in here and going to score 40, 50 goals, right? I mean, mm -hmm. he's not going to come in and be your best goal scorer. So you cannot weaken what is already your most weakened position from last season mm -hmm. further unless you're getting a guy who's going to be an outright stud scoring the scoring the puck right scoring goals yep. um so it doesn't make any sense in that regard i nylander's a nice little player um would you like to have him sure but i don't think you can i don't think at this point you can make a trade from your defense especially from your top four for that guy. And, and Toronto is not going to give up that guy for anything less than one of your top four guys. Um, and by the way, he's at almost a $7 million cap hit, which is another issue seasons I mean, beyond this one. That, yeah. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. That's a whole other, that's a whole other issue. So like, so just practically like, you know, if you're looking at team, you know, structuring your team, I don't see how that's a good swap for the Flyers. So, and I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I mean, I'm sure Toronto would do it to get out from the money. Um, but I'm not certain that Toronto looks at it and says, well, Travis Sanheim cures our ills on defense. Cause yeah. it doesn't. I mean, you know, Sanheim's got his, got his ups and downs. I mean, he's not, and he's got a, you know, he's still young and he's going to be better than he is now, but I don't necessarily know if, if that's the fix that Toronto needs either. And if, so if you're going to trade away a player to fix your defense, which is what Toronto needs to do, is Travis Sanheim that answer? I, I don't think that that's enough. I think it, it would help, but not it wouldn't be enough. So, no, I, I don't think it works for either team. Last fan question before we get to the most anticipated part of the episode. Uh, Giroux in the Hockey Hall of Fame, how close is he and what does he need to do to get the host of treatment? Also, um, how much less than that if he weren't a flyer? I think Claude Giroux is a surefire Hall of Famer. I don't think that there's a question. I think by the end of his career that his statistics will, will be completely worthy of enshrinement in the Hall. Um, I'm not saying he's first ballot guaranteed lock, stock, and barrel as soon as he's eligible going to get put in, but I do think that he's he's definitely going to get there. And if he happens to win a Stanley Cup before his career is over, or more than one, I think then you're talking first ballot, first first opportunity. Um, I, I don't I don't think that there's even a question. I, I which team Which team will he win the Stanley Cup with, and why is it the Kings? <laughs> no, I, I, I look. Drew's got a no trade clause, right? No movement clause for that. Matter. Yeah. Um, he's he doesn't want to go anywhere. I mean, he wants to stay here. He wants to win here. I know that for certain. Um, maybe when his contract's over, maybe the Flyers don't want to, you know, bring him back at that point. Maybe he has to go elsewhere. Um, 
but I, he's going to be here for the next two seasons. I mean, for sure. There's no doubt about it. He's part of this team for two years. Um, and then we'll see. But I think that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I think that in the end, he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. All right. I know that might that might catch a little bit of uh, of heat on Twitter. I can't I'm wait sure, to see. Uh... I'm sure it will. But people people who are anti Giroux are are just anti Giroux because he's the captain and the team hasn't won. And it's it's a it's a ridiculous notion in a team sport to sit there and constantly blame the captain just because I mean a captain is a captain is a is a is a locker room leader that's all it is and the person who talks to the refs on the ice that's all the captain is it has nothing to do with you know oh he's got he's automatically got to be your best player that's not true um if you go back and look at captains that have won stanley cups they've not always been the best player on the team um so it's just it's just who who the who the team responds to and i'll tell you that from all that i can glean Everybody likes Claude Giroux as a captain within this organization, including his fellow teammates in the locker room. And that's that's what's most important. It doesn't matter what, what the fans think. It doesn't matter what us and the media think. It matters what the players and the and the organization thinks for a for a leader. That's all that matters. And we can we can blame him all we want because of the, because of that. It's a narrative that is created by fans and media and fans and media only. And that's that's all there is to it. By the way, people can go back in the archives and listen to the interview that we did over the summer with Chris Pronger, who uh, I think people respected quite a bit as a captain, at least the fans and the media did. Sure. And uh, he talked about Claude Giroux giving him a call a few times to ask for still calls him. for some advice to ask him for his thoughts. So if you're if you think that the guy lives in his own little bubble. We've already dispelled that notion on this show, but I would encourage people to go back and listen if they haven't heard that interview yet. There's a lot of good stuff. All right, now it's time for everybody's new favorite segment. No, no goalie. Oh, yes. <laughs> Anthony, I'm going to give you a clue, maybe two, maybe three. Depends on how many it takes to get you there. Yeah. Uh, last week's No the Goalie was something that uh, I think opened people's eyes into how goalies are credited with a loss in a game. Got a little bit of feedback, people being uh, very confused and then eventually, I think, kind of figuring it out. But I'm going to keep it simple this week. Oh, simple, huh? Going to keep it simple. In NHL history, one goalie has recorded the most losses in one season. And it's a lot of them. 48 losses in a single season. Who is that goalie? Well, I, I think it's gotta gotta be. Um, I wonder if it. So the, I think that was. The I can give you year. a decade. I can give you a conference. I can give you. You know, I can lead you there. Um. So the only thing I the only my initial thought is that the expansion year for the Sharks. Or I'm sorry, not the Sharks. The Senators. They were the worst team maybe in the history of the of hockey and so it would have to be whatever one of the goalies on that team am, am i on the right track here not close god all right well then, <laughs> then I, don't, I don't know where i want to go i mean i would have been what i mean I, they were so it is bad. it 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 was a western conference team well the senators aren't I, senators weren't 
you originally didn't you say San Jose? At first? I originally did, and I realized yeah. I was talking about the wrong. Well, I was team. I was leading you. Senators. I was so it, it was yeah. a West it was a Western Conference team, and this team is no longer located in that place. It is no longer a, an NHL franchise. Oh man, <laughs> I can give uh, you a decade if it helps. Uh, was it Minnesota North Stars when they? Oh, came way into farther the west, way farther west, farther west, and and they're not. Holy cow! You're going back before I was born, right? Um, what what year were you born? Seventy four. Uh, they were a team when you were when you were born. <laughs> yeah, they were for a few years. So it has to be the somebody from the California Seals, the California Golden Seals. You are correct. <laughs> I have no ooh, idea. Ooh. <laughs> No idea who the right, California so Seals goalie. Back in the, of course, as everyone knows, back in the 1970, 1971 season, the California Golden Seals. <laughs> the only my only connection to the Seals that I can make for you is that Reggie Leach came from there. There you go. And the Flyers traded for Reggie Leach to become win their second cup. I want people to he go look on the Seals. I want people to go look up the logo. All right. So the California Golden Seals in 1970-71 finished with a record of 20. 53 and five 48 of the 53 losses were taken on the chin 48 of 53 losses were taken on the chin by gary smith oh man he had a goals against average of 3.86 goals per game they allowed 353 goals on the season while scoring a league low 199 that's incredible so there you go that is this week's edition of no, the goalie. Now, what I want to do, Russ, is I do want to look at the at the Senators when um, when they had their uh, their worst uh, all, their worst season. Um, how do I do this? Uh, this is good pod. I love when you decide to like randomly do crap like this. Well, no, all I, right, it, their their worst season. Uh, that was a twenty four point season, twenty three. That would have been 94-95 is the lowest so far. Okay. That was a 20. I mean, it was a shortened season, though. It was a 48. You want to go by, no. like, a full season? No, so. I think it wasn't, like, their first year in the their league. Their first year, yeah, they had 24 points in 82 games. Yeah, they were terrible, so, right? So that team. That was what, 90 what? That was 1992-93. I'm looking right now to see. All right, so goalies. God. I, I They were 10, 70, and 4. All right, so here's your answer. Uh, Peter Sidorkowitz, 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 Peter Sidorkowitz took 46 okay. losses on the pin. You were close. Okay. <laughs> I will give you credit. You were close. You didn't get all the way there to the 48, but 46 is close. So we will give Anthony a, um, it's still an L you are still defeated on the season, but I will give you a little bit of an asterisk because you got close. Oh, okay. that's funny. That's fine. All right. Thanks I for checking know, it. Do you, what? Do you know who their do you know who their coach was that year? What year? That that first year in the league when they were so bad? Who the the Senators the faces? Uh I mean I could cheat, but no. Rick Bonus, who took the stars to the Stanley Cup final this year. <laughs> uh, it's like they always say. Uh and who was can... and who was his assistant coach? We had we had him on the show. We talked about it. Did we? Um, Hitch. No. 
Well, it wasn't Iron Mike. It wouldn't have been Baroub. Uh, who did we have on the show that was a coach? <laughs> who am I missing? <laughs> I don't know. Who? Am I losing my mind? Yeah. What did yeah, I miss? A little bit. Who did I miss? He we might, had Hitchcock. He might be the Ruby. Alvino? Yes. <laughs> oh, see that? It's always, that's like I always say, it's good to be terrible because eventually you're going to pass that bar. That's what we've learned this week. <laughs> Mediocrity is okay as long as you can clear the bar. Yeah. And with that, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Snow the Goalie. We'll be back next week. Who knows? If something else breaks this week, we'll come back for an emergency pod. But for right now, this is our episode of the week. Thank you for checking in. Make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Snow the Goalie, Instagram at Snow the Goalie, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. Find Anthony on Twitter and Instagram at Ant San Philly. Find me on Twitter at Joy on Broad. If you look at the description of this episode, depending on the podcast app that you use to listen to shows, we have a lot of links in. We've got direct links to send you right off to Twitter, right off to Instagram, Facebook. There's also a link in there. Uh, that you can go to it's I think it's called love love your podcast or love my podcast something like that you click on that and it'll redirect you to whichever app gives you the ability to leave reviews we like to read reviews on this show it's been a little bit we have gotten some leasey five-star reviews that I think we might have to go back to reading um, I don't think we got another five-star review from anybody other than leasey in the past week leasey just keep your keep your weekly review coming and at some point we will read like 10 of them in a row um, but for those of you who haven't left a review yet, please leave a five-star rating. It's really helpful. Leave a five-star review. Um, it does look like, hold on a second. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Uh, we have not gotten an, another one. And listen, this is the thing. You've got to leave a five-star review because not only does it help us, especially in the Apple podcast rankings, but it puts a smile on Anthony's face. Okay. And there's nothing quite as holly jolly in this Christmas season than seeing Anthony smile. So hashtag do it for Ant. For Anthony, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.